the deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode, I sit down with a member of the water polo community to talk about what helped them become successful in the world of water polo. This week, my guest is Brett Ormsby, the new head coach at J. Sarah High School. If you enjoyed the episode, please do me a favor, share it with your friends, leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I'm here at J. Sarah High School uh, with the new head coach, Brett Ormsby. Um, thank you for being on the program, Brett. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a great thing that you're doing. Thanks. Um, well, first off, congratulations on the new position. Pretty thanks. exciting. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, getting to see the office and um, kind of a new challenge here in the Trinity League. So we're going to be rivals here right. in the next couple yeah. months. Um, but first off, I just wanted to ask you, how did you get started in coaching? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can go back even just quickly on how I got started in polo yeah and in, in a lot of ways there are similarities between how I got started in polo and how I got started in coaching because my dad's a water polo coach you know and so that was really my my entry into the sport was going to watch him coach he was you know in the 90s he coached at Poway High School in San Diego which was a kind of a dominant program down there and so um you know got into the sport initially there and then coaching wise, I think in some ways it might have been in my genes, like my mom's a history teacher and my dad's a water polo coach and I ended up being both, you know, and, and I, not really part of the plan. But and then specifically speaking, I started coaching uh, towards the end of college after my national team career. Uh, well, actually, let me take that back I, after the Olympic Games in, in 2004. And I was still participating with the national team, but was struggling with some injuries. College career was over, but I was finishing up classes. So I was kind of in this um, interesting period where I was figuring out what I wanted to do. Still had some responsibilities with classes, needed to make a little bit of money. But what I really wanted to do was keep playing water polo. And injuries were kind of keeping me from doing that. And so um, to kind of get that, that outlet for the sport um, and make a little bit of money, I started coaching on the side. Um, and where was that? Where were you well, coaching? I started out actually as an undergraduate assistant at UCLA. Oh, okay. So I, um, you know, I took a year off to train for the Olympics. So I needed to finish a year of classes after my four years of eligibility were up. And Adam Krikorian, who was my coach, asked me to stick around and do that. And so, so I did that. Uh, and then shortly after, I started coaching with LA Water Polo. And this was kind of during the heyday of LA Water Polo when it was, it was really big. Um, started coaching some club water polo there, like 1,600 girls, 1,800 boys. And then I think the second year after, after the UCLA undergraduate assistant, I did one year at, at Harvard Westlake as well as an assistant there. Okay. So that, who yeah. was the head coach at Harvard at the time? That was Larry Felix. Oh, okay. Yeah. You might actually remember. We actually we played were in the you final guys and, and semifinal. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even recognize that you were on the bench then. <laughs> yeah, That's cool. So, you know, I remember you as a player uh, at UCLA just because I was finishing up my career. So that must have been like 2000 to 2004, mm -hmm. 99, 2004. 2001 to 2004. It okay. was a playing day. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't really in the know in terms of San Diego water polo, but totally correct me if I'm wrong. You kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, and, and just all of a sudden, boom, you're like this, like the star player at UCLA, you're scoring all the goals and then you're on the national team. Like, is that how you remember it? Or, um, I, I think there might be some truth to that. Um, I definitely think, well, I was the same exact age as Jesse Smith, who was also from San Diego and, and played at Coronado and, and, and I think was a much 
bigger name and 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 he was a great player um so it may have been slightly overshadowed there um i played at a like a smaller public school that wasn't real well known outside of san diego it was actually a good program in san diego's valhalla high school and had had a good tradition so it was a good program but probably not known by orange county la norcal folks you know i think that i had a lot of confidence though in what i could do so i wasn't surprised by yeah. by anything and i think adam krikorian when he recruited me had a lot of confidence that i could do what i did um but i could see that for probably a lot of people it was a bit of a bit of a surprise yeah i you mean know, i wasn't i wasn't hugely recruited you know i was recruited. yeah i was gonna ask you like were yeah. you a, a top recruit that year were you or was it like did he find a diamond in the rough you think like I, I think it was a little bit of both i mean i think people would probably um say yeah i was a top recruit like one of the top five recruits you know but i think adam saw something that other people didn't so what was your experience like being coached by adam krikorian i would assume he's someone that you kind of look up to or as a mentor i mean having coached you in college is a mm. big time in your life and then transition into like the national team what was that experience like just mentally I mean I, I could imagine what it was physically you're being coached by Racco at the time what was that like for those people who are listening now who have aspirations of wanting to play on the national team yeah no that's a great question it was uh it was challenging but I think each side of it made me better when I went to the other side. I think my college um, experience made me a better national team player. I think my national team experience made me a better college player. And I think each of the coaches who, who were very different and I think, you know, two of the greatest coaches ever, you know, and it was cool for me, like eight years after I was done playing for both of them to sit like London Olympics, like my national team coach won gold for the men and my college coach won gold for the women. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool thing, you know? And so they have very different approaches, which was probably really valuable for me in providing kind of a balance uh, from each of them. But I think probably the challenging part that you mentioned was just like the, probably the schedule, you the know, grind. that it was nonstop. It was, you know, finished college season, couple of days off, you're at national team camp, you know, you finish world championships and, you know, late July, early August, couple of days off, college season starts, yeah. you know? And so it was, it was a grind in that regard, which is both physically and mentally challenging. Yeah. And I'm assuming that, I mean, obviously that translates into becoming into your coaching career, like how you view players and sort of the demand and expectations that you have for your program. So, um, this kind of jumps ahead, but one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, how do you feel about the state of water polo right now? Because the time frame that you're talking about, that 2001, 2004, club water polo wasn't really blowing up like mm -hmm. it is right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, now it's just huge. Right. And I was talking to Brum, Jim Brum, and he was saying, you know, the kids don't really get a break now, yeah. and that's how he's seen things change. Um, how do you see it's changed since you've been a player? Uh, well, he, he is right. Um, the calendar is super impacted now, you know, which is which is tough. It has also changed, uh, as you mentioned, I, I think that era was, you know, it was towards the early years of club water polo really expanding. But it was a period in which I think you had some super clubs in different regions, right? So you had San Diego Shores in San Diego, you had uh, SoCal in Orange County, you had Santa Barbara, you had uh, Stanford, you know, but there were very few really top-notch clubs and i think what you see now is you just see so many more clubs popping up every high school has a club you know that kind of stuff which which is interesting to look at and i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing yeah. you know i think it's a product of you know sort of free enterprise which is 
valuable in some ways, but I also worry a little bit that talent gets diluted. And more importantly than that, that maybe we don't have enough really quality coaches and experienced coaches to service all of that, you know? And so in terms of individual athlete development, that's, that's a bit of a concern, you know? So you graduate from UCLA, you're the graduate assistant, kind of jumping around here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You help out at Harvard Westlake. And what brought you down to Cathedral? How did you end up in that position? Yeah, well, it, it was timing, really. I mean, it was and it was really fortuitous timing for me, the Cathedral position opened up and the, the coach who was there prior to me is a great friend of mine, a guy named Sean Green, um, who decided to, to step away. in um, let's see, it was probably spring of 2008, uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, maybe following the fall season of 2007. Uh, he continued to work at the school, which is where I got to know him and, and became great friends with him. But someone just contacted me kind of out of the blue. Wow. It, was, it was a little random, but put it on my radar. And then obviously having my dad who you know, lives in San Diego, coaches in San Diego, kind of called him and said, hey, what do you think about this? Is this a good job? He said, yeah, I think it has potential to be a great job. And talked a little bit about it. I, um, you know, I came down, I visited, they gave me a little tour. I was obviously kind of blown away with the facility there. And, and, um, and the area was empty at that time. There wasn't a lot of housing around that area, right? Right. It has definitely grown a lot, um, in the decade, um, since I took that job. I, it was, it was basically the reason I said it was fortuitous timing. It was when I finally decided I was going to hang up my, with the playing career. You know, I, between 2004 and 2008, I think I had six surgeries. You know, I had three shoulder surgeries, three um, abdominal hip surgeries. And finally, I ran out of time. That was kind of how I was wired as an athlete. Like, like I was going to keep going until it was too late. And it finally became too late. I decided I was going to be done. And so it was a nice transition. And then they, they wanted to hire me as a teacher as well. And it just made sense. And at that time, um, my wife, Talia, we, we were dating then. And she, you know, I said, hey, let's move down to San Diego. And she said, all right, let's go for it. And so, so yeah, it was a great experience. And I mean, over the years, for those of you who, for people who don't know, which I would imagine people listening to this probably have heard of Cathedral Catholic and all the great things that you've done down there. I mean, you've won multiple CIF championships. We'll kind of run that down. Um, You know, you've been part of some pretty amazing teams, coached some great players that have gone on to play in really big time uh, level. Um, How many CIF championships were you guys able to win at Cathedral? Yeah, we, um, let's see, I was there for nine years and we, we made it to six CIF championship games and won, won five of them. Um, so we had a nice run. It was that all boys or was it? Yeah, that? all boys. Okay. Um, yeah, all boys. I did coach the girls for three years. We, I think we lost in the semifinals each of those three years. Yeah, the first of those was first, first title was in 2009, which was a really, really special one because there wasn't really much history or tradition with the program. You know, I came into San Diego at a time where I think Bishops and Coronado had played each other in CIF finals for over a decade straight. Wow. And both of those teams were dominant teams, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Coronado, historically one of the best high schools ever in water polo um and 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 bishops bishops too i mean they they've had some phenomenal teams cathedral had not had not beaten either one of them in over a decade i I don't remember all the numbers now had never won a cif championship hadn't won a league championship in over a decade and kind of we're going you know oh and six in league pretty regularly with la jolla being the other team in the league and playing two games against each of them and i i came in to a group that was i think really ready to make that leap almost all 
like kids who were advancing from their sophomore year to their junior year when I took over. And so that first year I could already tell a ton of potential, but like we needed more time. Yeah, yeah. And then those guys, their senior year, like they were all about it and they, you know, took that leap and won that championship. And, and I always think there's just something really special about like the first one, yeah. you know, for, for all the kids and for the coach, you know, it's a, it's a feeling that's kind of hard to repeat. Um, so it's just really pure, really fun. And then we graduated everyone, you know, <laughs> and it was kind of crazy. And we went through two years that were, you know, a bit challenging, but we had some good young kids come in the year we graduated them and, and we were back in CF finals after a two year break. And, and, won so, again. and that that's interesting that you bring that up because that's the position I'm in right now, you know, at, at Orange Lutheran, like we're graduating everybody, we're going to have a young group. And, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people would like to kind of delve into is how do you how do you go through the tough time when your team when your program is is down because everybody has it i mean no one's going to be on top forever you know what did you do during those times that maybe did you know help develop the program into like getting back to the final sure yeah, I mean, I, I think it always helps when you when you see the potential in your young kids and you're super hopeful, you know, and you know it's coming. Yeah. And it may be a ways off, but you know it's coming. And I also think, you know, it, it helps just to be really process focused, you know, to not worry too much about results when you're going through that period. Just know you're doing things the right way. Focus on the process and, and have some faith in what that's going to bring to you. And it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of just effort and um, toil and embracing that and that's a fun part of the process you know so yeah but i don't i also don't want to make it sound like i was too hard up i mean i really did have uh if you remember like by 2013 we you know we knocked off modern day we were super talented so those kids were freshmen in 2010 the year after we graduated all those guys gotcha. and i knew i knew then what potential they had yeah you saw you know? some talent yeah, going on absolutely um, and so that leads into the next thing of how are you maximizing or how do you maximize talent? I mean, what are you looking for specifically in skills that that players come in? Because I would imagine they come in with a base of water polo skill, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's through Del through the Del Mar Club that you started when 2009. Yeah, about yeah, about 2008, okay. 2009. So yeah. you already had a, a vision of of what you wanted your program to be, and then the age group thing. So what are you looking for? Um, uh, that in players when they come in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, to be fair, we, we had a lot of great players that came from San Diego Shores and Carlsbad water polo clubs too, you know, especially in the early years. Yeah. Um, but what am I looking for? Um, in an athlete, I think um, some of the most important things are not really specific to water polo. It's who they are as people, what they value. You know, I, I want kids who, who like working hard. Um, that's always been really important to me. Um, I like kids who are who are disciplined, and I, I I like kids who who love the sport and want to invest in it and see it as an opportunity to do something better with their lives, to yeah. to go to a great college, to get a scholarship, to do to to travel the world. You know, so so that passion, I guess, for the sport is something that uh, that I always want to see in terms of more specific, you know, water polo related stuff. 
you know, kids who have a good base in the fundamentals are always easy to work with and easy to kind of develop. Um, and obviously that doesn't stop with coming into high school with good fundamentals and you're set, you know, yeah, that's an yeah. ongoing all the way through your career. Kids who have a good base in the water, a good balance, good feel for the water, you know, in the vertical game, they're stable, um, good passing, good shooting, can play some individual defense are always, you know, that's, those are good markers for, for a great player and a player who I always feel like, okay, I can do a lot with this kid. One thing that you mentioned, well, two, two things I wanted to ask just specifically into that answer. One thing you had brought up when we were, I was doing like the prep for this, you know, I had emailed you, was accountability. Right. So I wanted you to speak a little bit on that. How do you feel about the accountability factor? And where does it lie? Are you talking just the kid? Are you talking the parents? Are you talking, you know? It's it's myself personally, too. You know, there has to be a clear standard that we're reaching for and an accountability to, um, to stick with that. You know, for the athletes, I think most athletes who play for me would say that they they know where I stand on stuff and they know what I expect and they know that I'm not going to be okay with settling for less than that. And that causes some turmoil sometimes. That's always hard, right? It's like being a difficult parent, you know? I think that... Um, it, it helps them to know what to expect. And and I think I think most coaches and like parents would agree that young kids want that structure. They want that that sort of discipline. They almost crave it subconsciously, if anything. And so so it's just a big thing because it's it's really easy to get into this sort of slippery slope where now you're making excuses why you're not doing stuff and 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 that's not a recipe for success, you know. So accountability, you're right, it's it's huge. And then the other piece was the discipline factor. And I mean, when you're 14, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, discipline, you could see it in some kids for sure. But um, do you think that's also discipline with the parents in terms of like getting them to commit to all the things that you want? Because it's it's a long year. Totally. And you are asking them to do a, a lot like yeah. we all are. All the I mean, all the high level programs ask their kids to do yes. a lot. So what do you feel or how do you feel about that discipline part? Is that the kid? Is that the parent? Is that both? I mean, uh, yeah, good question. I think with the parents, I don't know that I'd call it discipline as much as like, I think it's communicating expectations, you know, and then and then getting them on board with it. I've never found like I need to hold them accountable. You know, like, I I don't like getting into that sort of um, role. I think that if parents know um, what the expectations of the program are, and those are clearly outlined, and they see the benefit of it, you know, that that, that they buy in. Um, We kind of touched on your Olympic experience a little bit. And now you're coaching a national team you're coaching the youth team is that correct correct Uh, and you've been doing that for several years yeah so gosh I um you know I I've been I've been at different levels for probably six seven years served as an assistant coach on the junior team for James Lathrop at one point um was head coach of the uh cadet team back when Guy Baker ran ODP um, and then the last, you know, probably done it for about four years under Coach Udovicic and, and John Abdu, uh, the high performance director, and currently coaching the youth team will be going to Youth World Championships this summer. How has that experience been? What do you take from that experience back to your high school or even the college game that helps you, I mean, be a better coach? Oh, I, I mean, it's one of the main reasons I do it, quite honestly, is it, I learned so much. 
I learned so much. And probably one of the biggest things is the experience of going overseas and competing at the highest level. You learn a lot about yourself, but you also, you know, you get to, you get to see water polo kind of in its nexus, like the, the hotbed of, of European water polo. I always pick up some new things in terms of whether it's technical or tactical things that I want to implement. Um, but I also find out a lot about myself and going through those competitions and that's always fun. And you know, and it's, it's great to coach all the best players. That's always really fun is like, you know, you're coaching the national team and I get to coach your kids, Ash and Hannes and, you know, and, and, and similar types of kids. And, and, you know, when you're at a high school and you're at a club, you're, you're going to be limited in how many kids you touch and you're going to have some, some really good players that come through and you're going to have some down years. And, and it's nice to be able to go to the national team and see kids from all over the country and all the top programs come together and make each other better. So it's a really neat experience. Yeah, no, it's been, I mean, I look at it and I'm kind of, you know, you kind of get a little bit jealous because you love all those coaching a group like that. I mean, it's really amazing to see all those players in the water. It's unfortunate that we don't get to see them locally as much as we'd like to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool for some high school athletes to see them scrimmaging and things like that. But, um, you know, you said you, when you go overseas, you, you feel like you learn some stuff, you know, the hotbed of water polo. Have you found it difficult for the athlete today on those teams to adjust to that type of environment? Yeah, I mean, I want to make sure I understand your question. Are you asking um, the adjustment to being overseas and competing uh, against the top yeah, teams? And, or? And, yeah, and then they go and they play there and then they have to come back and play in high school, you okay, know? like okay. So, like, how? what's the transition Got going it. from here to there and then back from there to here? Great question, yeah. Um, I think in terms of going from here to there, particularly kids who are doing it for the first, maybe even the second time, there's a big eye-opening experience early on. I mean, I remember my junior team, and we had a pretty good junior team. Um, myself, Jesse Smith, Brandon Brooks, you know, guys who went on to the Olympics. Our first game of Junior Worlds, man, I, I don't remember the exact score other than we had one and they, and they were in double digits. And that was a great it was a great team, Serbia, Montenegro, a lot of guys who went on to the Olympics for them. But that was like that was a serious eye opener. And then the second game, we were better. And the third game, we were better. And it's part of the reason that now I've, I've always tried to like say, hey, can we go over there and get a pre-tournament before the main competition? Mm-hmm. Can we play in another competition? Because it's not, you know, the game's the game. You know, the pool's, the pool's the same. You know, the refing for the most part's the same. I think that maybe there's some nervousness, but also the level of athlete and some of the things that they're doing, particularly, I think, in terms of like just the shooting the shooting is probably the biggest thing to adjust to like, wow, our shot blocking is not adequate for this, mm. you know? Um, and sometimes the intensity of the game too, the intensity of the game is really ramping up and it just, it's natural. There's going to be an adjustment period. So, but I've, I've found that it happens quickly. Like kids adjust very quickly. They're adaptable and um, they adjust quickly. And then I think coming back, the kids are so much better than they were before. And that's one of the reasons why I'd always advise everyone in the value of, of this international travel and national team participation. But they come back and I think there's a couple of things. They're going back to a high school where they're not playing with the same type of players and their role is different and all that. And that's a challenge. And then I also think sometimes the physicality, a lot of times you find the kids who come back or they're getting kicked out a lot. They're doing these things because 
they've gotten used to this high intensity physical game and it's just it's a little bit different yeah, september's an ugly month yeah you know, when they yeah. come back but so you know you talk you're talking about the shooting and the diff- different level of athlete having gone through top program at ucla you know in the olympics having seen all these different athletes do you see athleticism at a higher level on different countries water polo teams than ours do you think the athleticism the people who are playing football or baseball right you know i'm sure you've heard this right before yeah. is that what you're seeing or do you think we match those teams athletically we just maybe are are a little bit behind on something else i i, I want to say it's more that something else um i think that it's it's certainly possible that in in the European countries that tend to dominate water polo, that there are athletes who here might go into football or might go into a different sport. And there, because of the culture and because of the sports available and valued by them, they go into water polo. Yeah. I think that's, there's got to be something to that. But you also see these countries like Montenegro, that's a, it's a tiny country. And it's, you know, I think less than a million people. Yet they're producing these phenomenal water polo players. So it's hard to say that they're all just that level of athlete. I don't think yeah. that's the case. I think it's more the experience. I think it's more the culture. I think it's more being close to the game, watching it on TV as a kid, going to games as a kid, um, jumping in the sea and shooting on a cage. All these things that we just don't have here. You the know? pickup water polo. The pickup water polo. You know, And it's like any kid here can go out and they can shoot hoops in their backyard. You can't do that with water polo. And I think that probably is a much bigger factor. Um, I also think just the year round level of competition, they're, they're all close to each other. So it's really easy to go from Montenegro to Croatia, Croatia, Serbia, what, Hungary, like they're all really close. And so you can have these tournaments and there's just more games. Um, these kids start playing professional water polo when they're 15, 16, 17 years old, and they're on the first division playing with Olympians. They're going to learn faster. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so I think, it's interesting to think about what we can do to counter that but i i do think we have potential um athletically and i think we just you know we need to continue to find ways to get that experience and continue to find ways more than anything to keep people playing and involved post-college because it's it's a labor of love to some extent you know people want to go start making money and that's understandable how can we get them to make money and keep playing water polo because you know i i do think we start to catch up to the Europeans at a certain point if we continue to play. And I think you saw that with a lot of my teammates from the Athens Olympics in 04, guys like Adam Wright and Lane Bobian and and um, Tony and and Ryan Bailey, the whole list. Yeah. Those guys from 2001 to 2012, they kept playing. And we saw the benefit of that in 2008. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely see that. I mean, we have such phenomenal athletes on our national team, but I do agree with you that the liability, the culture of our, you know, the game getting sued and all these other things, we can't have the pool open for people to come in and just shoot. Like, whereas they, they're putting goals in the sea or there's already something, of course, set up for these, you know, and they grow up in the water and their movement is just different. So it'd be nice if we were able to remedy that, I think. Um, I will say, though, that for kids who want it, they can find it. I, as a kid, I had the key to my high school pool. Um, you know, um, my mom was a teacher there, so she'd come down to supervise me yeah. because, you know, otherwise someone would come in and say, hey, what are you doing here? And, and why do you have a key? Yeah. You know, um, but she'd come down there and I'd go in the pool and I'd shoot. And there's, you know, there's stories among some people in San Diego, like 
And they'd see me hopping a fence with a bag of balls. And, you know, and then I was fortunate too. I, I played at San Diego Shores growing up and, you know, Coach Peabody made the pool available to me basically whenever I wanted it, you know? And so I, I found a way to, and most of it was just going and shooting, yeah. you know, and that repetition. So it is harder. It certainly is. Yeah, it'd be really tough to give the key to a pool. Oh, absolutely. Right and we're in a different day and age. Yeah. There's no question. Things have at changed all. just yeah. so drastically, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I mean, you would lose I mean, you'd probably lose your job at yeah. this point, you know. So um so you're at Cathedral for nine years. Uh-huh. You make a jump to be the assistant coach at Stanford. And um I wanted to talk about what that experience was like for you. Uh, you know, having done so much at the high school level and at the international level, you know, coaching the youth team cadet team and uh, helping out with the junior team. First of all, what motivated you to make that jump? Uh, what were some of the things that were going through your mind, your family's mind? Because it's not just you, obviously. And, um, you know, what what was that entire thing like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what motivated me was was pretty simple. I, I'm always kind of looking for the next challenge. And for me, as um, a high school coach, national team coach, I have a lot of confidence in what I'm able to do and I want to do it at the highest level. And so to go from high school to college was always kind of a dream of mine. I mean, and and I was always really honest with my administration at Cathedral. They knew from the day I got there that one day I wanted to try to coach college water polo. And I, you know, and it wasn't like I was constantly looking or anything. I was very happy where I was, but I thought that I wanted to be, um, you know, I love being a teacher and I love being a coach. I like both of them. But I also thought it might be nice for a while to focus, you know, just on one. And so, you know, an opportunity came up to, to go to the college level. And, and um, you know, it was the right opportunity in terms of stuff I was looking for to make sure it was it was it was going to be OK for my family. And you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But um, but it was it was great to do it even for a short period of time. And I think more than anything, just the athletes that are there. I mean, it's a wonderful place in terms of the people that it attracts. And it was really fun on a daily basis to work with just really intelligent, really hardworking, really high achieving kids. And I think on a daily basis, I was I was impressed by that and excited by that. But yeah, I mean, to, at the end, it's this is still recent and you know, it's going to take me time to process and put it in its proper place and so on, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what were some of the takeaways that you took from that experience? Just like being around, like you were saying, all these talented kids. And um, I mean, I think every single freshman that walks into the into campus says, I want to go to Stanford. You know, I think every single person wants to play water polo at Stanford. That's what they say. Um, what did you take away from that, that you that you're going to carry on for, you know, the next phase of your coaching career? Um, yeah, um, some of it raise a lot of money and build nice pools. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. And being a phenomenal institution that, yeah. you know, has long history and tradition and all that, you know, <laughs> easier said than done. I think some of it, I gained a lot in terms of preparation. Uh, that was one of the main tasks. I did a lot of scouting, a lot of video, uh, breakdown and analysis and sort of preparing for each and every opponent. Um, and I felt really good about what I did there, you know, and I think the kids benefited a ton from that. And I think it gave them a sense of confidence and also just kind of ease or peace going into games, feeling as though they know what to expect, maybe a little bit better than. And um, so that preparation on a daily basis, and I, I really like that too. You know, I spent hours alone just watching video and taking notes and cutting it up and sharing it with athletes and putting something, packaging something together to present to them. And I think also, you know, I learned despite how just brilliant these kids are and hardworking and well-intentioned that they need structure. 
they they need structure to really feel good and play their best. And um, that was something that I really wanted to provide for them. So when you're doing uh, kind of on a tangent, when you're doing the the video work and this video analysis breakdown, um, are you presenting sort of like a recruiting, um, not a recruiting, like a, a scouting video for the team, the players individually or the coaches or both? Or when it comes to the individual stuff, are you picking certain things that they're doing wrong and saying like, look, like this is what I'm talking about, or this is that one thing I was bringing up earlier. Yeah. Um, I think early in the season and this is where, you know, I didn't have an off season there. Unfortunately, early in the season, there was more of that focus on correction through video, um, which has been a huge part of my coaching forever. I think that, um, so valuable and that's the teacher inside of me. Like I want to be able to show these kids. And I think that they've always learned that my, my kids have always learned so much through that. But really, once we got into season, it was really more about preparing for the next team, you know, and so we did a couple things. Coach Barnet and I worked together on just scouting packets. So for each team that we played against, we provided the athletes with, you know, documents, some just as simple as personnel. You know, who are the players on the team? What do they do? You know, who are the main guys? What are some strengths and weaknesses? So on. And then tendencies, you know, style of play. How do they like to play in each phase of the game? You know, and how can we be prepared to counter that? And then what we would do is also create sort of, um, I'm trying to think of how to put this, their, their plays. We'd go through their plays. So we diagram them and also create a link so the kids could look at the diagram, you know, hear the reads they're trying to accomplish, click on the link and watch the team actually execute that play. Gotcha. And so um, that, that was kind of what we would present. And then, you know, as we'd go through the week, we'd do a little bit of video to start each 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 day of practice. And, and that was usually by phase. We would focus on, okay, let's watch 10 front court defense that I had selected and see what this other team's really doing so that when we go into practice, Practice, you know, the scouting team is going to execute that and we're going to be prepared to, to, to work against that. And are you coaching the scout team at this time too? Like, no, coach, coach Barnea did that. Okay. Yeah. Coach Barnea did, did that aspect. And, um, you know, and then in terms of individuals, not a whole lot of that. What I, I what I would do is meet with, um, a couple players, um, just to go over kind of, um, six on five stuff, uh, what other teams are doing on their five man you know, cause you have different teams are doing some pretty different things. And so we have our basic, what we want to do on a man up attack, but according to the defense, we might have some different reads. And I wanted kind of the key guys who were quarterbacking it in some extent, you know, to, to just feel comfortable with that. And, and yeah. so, but that was minimal. Yeah. Well, I, it's what, what sounds exciting for me is just the opportunity to be able to dedicate your you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day to that one task instead of like, (laughs) you know, preparing your lesson to teach and all these other things. I mean, and I mean, look, I'll say this and I can cut it out if you want. Um, you know, I know that everybody listening is thinking in their head, there's speculation about all the different things that, that happened up at Stanford. Um, and just out of respect for you and your family that are still living there and just this, the whole process that we decided that we weren't going to like dive too deep in, you know, for me personally as a coach, I want, I wanted to know what the experience was like just to like be in that environment mm-hmm. because I did coach at Concordia for five years and we, co- you know, I coached against some big time teams, including Cal and, you know, Stanford and UCLA. And it's really different when you're in a small school and you're preparing for schools like teams like that. I would imagine that the excitement of preparing for a UCLA USC back to back is just a totally different 
intensity and, and, and different expectation for the players. Uh, am, am I right about that? Yeah. I mean, uh, for me as coach, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, one, like you talk about just kind of like the level and the environment, um, and, you know, coaching in that pool at Stanford, that stadium yeah. is unreal. And you probably had a chance to do it at JO's, I, I would think, you know, and like to be there though, for a big splash game against Cal, you know, or, or a big league game against UCLA, is is a pretty awesome experience you know so um it was really cool yeah so now you're here at j sarah and i mean obviously you know i, I would imagine you're going to take all these experiences bring them in bring them into j sarah and you're teaching here at j sarah yeah. right so yeah. you're teaching history yeah i'll be in the social science department okay um and do you feel i don't know if this is the right question but do you feel like that college bug is put on the shelf for a while right yeah. now? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. And I, you know, I'd say yes. I think that um, for me, um, the big thing is, you know, some of the valuable stuff that's come out of this experience, you know, the time, time I spent with my family over the last six months, you know, a recognition that I don't want to spend every night on a pool deck anymore, you know, um, is, is really important. And I think um, where I want to live, I, we love San Diego. My family loves San Diego. I'm going to be living in San Diego and taking the train. You know, it's it's a short jaunt. You know, we're we're pretty certain about kind of where we want to live, what type of life we want to live. Um, and that leads me to feel pretty confident just like not not getting an itch, you know, yeah. not, not feeling like uh, I want to and certainly not wanting to move my family all over the place. You know, um, now it doesn't mean that the right opportunity might not, you know, might come up and, and, and I always want to keep options open. But I also, I also think that there's a lot of value in high school coaching. Obviously we're, we're with these kids, especially when we're teachers and we're on campus, we're seeing these kids much more than we see college kids at that level. And we're impacting their lives, um, in a huge way. And, um, and that's, that's valuable to me. Um, and I, i I said it before, I like being in the classroom, you know, I really do. And I missed that this year as much as I like the sort of being more linear and being able to really just like have my brain rewire towards yeah. water polo was cool. Um, I love the interaction with my students at Cathedral and I, I know I'm going to love it here too. And so, so yeah, I think that, um, I think that bug has been put away. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I've, people have asked me, you know, would I go back to college? I, I don't think I would, you know, the, the travel, I was coaching men and women. Mm -hmm. So the travel year round was insane. I'm in a van every weekend, you know, in a hotel, it was really, really tough. It was great. It was an amazing experience and I loved it building that program. But that was before you had a kid though, right? I actually had just had a, you just had I a kid. just okay. had a son. Yeah. Um, and that changes a lot. It changes everything <laughs> for sure. And I'm I'm kind of in the same uh, boat where you are, where you're starting to realize, okay, like where do I want to spend my extra time? Right. You know, when you're single and you're, you know, it right. doesn't matter. You're you're all in, but it's just a little bit dif different when you're trying to balance everything. It's, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, and I think that you know, for me, it's like I still I still want to be all in when I'm here. Of course. You know, of course, yeah. we want to we want to do the best yeah. we can absolutely do. Um, we're going to work hard we're, and, and and so on. But having that balance is important. And it's it's yeah, um, it's easier to lose that balance when you're young and you're single and you have freedom and you do that. Um, and the balance is more important to you when you have some of the things that we have now. For sure. So um, being and having all these different perspectives, college, high school, high level, high school, you know, international Olympian. 
if there's something that you could change about water polo right now what would the, is there anything you would change about water polo and that could be anything from you know yeah. you mentioned calendar to a rule to right you know uh anything is there anything on your mind about that mm. i think that if if i had to think of one thing i think that like we're a really small community that just doesn't work together very well and um there's just a lot of maybe tribalism or infighting and and look it happens it's natural you know um i'm not going to exonerate myself from it i'm not I'm, but i think that i think that there's just like there's oftentimes just not enough respect given to um each other and not enough um sense to see what ultimately matters and that we're better if we kind of work together um, and that, I mean this on a global perspective. It just seems like there's a lot of walls that are put up. And, um, you know, some of the people that are most impressive to me are people who, you know, Coach Krikorian is a great example. It's like it'd be easy for him to hoard his knowledge, you know, because, oh, if someone else gets this knowledge, they may challenge me. And like the sense of security and no, like I want to help other people. This makes me better to help other people. And, um, you know, I think that's missing a lot in our sport, but it's hard for me to comment because other sports may be exactly the same and yeah. they may be worse for all I know. Well, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you though. I mean, we are a cannibal of a sport. We're eating each other up. We're not working together as, as much as we'd like to. And you've had that experience, you know, and this is totally random thought question that I'm bringing up right now. I remember having a conversation with Doug Peabody. Mm-hmm. And this was during JOs when you were at Del Mar, but you were playing at USC. Right. Whenever that JOs was. Yeah. And I would assume that was about the time that you started Del Mar or yeah, maybe a little was, bit later. Yeah. That and was he, was, he was upset. Yeah, I know. He was really upset. Yeah. And um, he was just talking about how, God, you know, why is this happening? And this, he started his own club and you were doing your own thing, you know? Yeah. Um, was that hard? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much of it is about how it happens, not just that it happened, but you know, um, I think, I think, um, it was hard because we had a long history, a long relationship. He was my coach when I was 10 years old until I was 18 years old. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, did a lot for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, like for me, it, it was, it was simple that like, um, you know, I'm, at a new high school with a new high school program and and i need to be able to feed our program with athletes and you know um so so yeah there's always going to be friction i guess that's not really the issue is there's going to be friction but like how do we communicate through that friction and and i think if you ask doug today he's doing fine yeah. I, I didn't ruin anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, yeah. He's doing fine. His club's doing fine there. You know what I mean? And that's maybe hard to recognize in the moment, but, um, yeah. Is there any other thing in water polo that you see, like, um, that you would want to change currently? Like, um, everything else is good. You're happy with, hmm. No, I mean, I, I'm all, I'm sure I have other complaints, but, um, I'm, I'm trying to think about what's reasonable. Um, you know, I think 
What do we, you think? What do you think about all the rules being different in all the different levels? Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I was going to, th- I was going to say like, we, we certainly have things we need to change because our game is, is, is struggling internationally. And like, we want to keep it as an Olympic sport and um, keep it in the high schools and the colleges here. And so what I was going to say is I think we have work to do to make it more accessible. And some of that might be the rules and um, how a casual fan who's first being introduced, how they're interpreting the game and, and whether they can understand it um, and how it's being presented to them is all really important. Um, I do think, you know, maybe when you say different rules at different levels, you're talking about like some of the 12 and under stuff. and Yeah, 12 yeah. and under. High school is different than club in terms right. of just like, you know, where the ball's live and right, all that right, kind right. of stuff. Yeah. No, I do think uniformity helps. Um, I also understand at the younger age groups, you're trying to emphasize certain things, certain skills. We don't want just one dominant player who's going to sit at the foul line and shoot the ball 100 times a game. You know, we want everybody to get involved. And so I think sometimes manipulating those rules a little bit for the younger age groups can be of real value. And I think that came over from Europe, you know, and it's been done successfully over there Um, in terms of a lack of continuity. You know, yeah, like we have our high school rule book, our club rule book, you know, college, you know, you go overseas that that can make it challenging a little bit. But I think for the most part, the the game's pretty similar, you know, Um, you know, I know there's interesting discussion right now. We're going to there was just a convention in Budapest not too long ago. They're going to implement some rule changes that I think are pretty sensible rule changes. You know, Um, nothing that really changes the major uh, facets of the game. We're still going to have the same number of players, same size course games, the same length, pretty much. But I think what they're trying to do is is just clean up some of the constant whistling you know, constant whistling and, and, and the physicality. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for the sake of time here, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions if I could. Absolutely. Um, who were your biggest mentors, uh, you know, growing up? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of, I, um, you know, you sent me that, that, that question in the email. So I've had some time to think about it and there, there's really, you know, four probably main guys that I, I think about. Um, and I've mentioned probably each of them so far, you know, my dad being the first for sure. Um, and I think he, and I realize it more as I age, what, what he provided me, the fact that he was a water polo coach who never directly coached me. Um, I played for other coaches and yet he did a phenomenal job of balancing out the coaching I was receiving, balancing out, filling in the gaps, I guess you'd say, you know, and never criticizing the coaches who I was playing for. And I think back now about how damaging that could have been. And I see parents do that. Parents who aren't coaches all the who time. do that all the time <laughs> and they don't know. They don't know. And they're poisoning their kids. They're hurting them. And they're putting stuff in their head that, you know, is damaging. And my dad could have done that so easily because there were times where he knew more than the coach. And yet he didn't do that. And that to me, I'm super grateful for it now. And instead, what he focused on was uh, areas I needed to be better, you know, and it was a lot of talks about defense, a lot of talks about the team, too. And that was what was cool. Also, is never about me. It was about the team. Um, so he really helped me a lot and he's helped me when I started coaching too. I asked him to come coach with me at cathedral. I was getting started. I knew the game, but I didn't necessarily know how to coach it. And he helped me with that a ton and he's still coaching today. So I think he's in it for the right reasons Four decades. You know, he shows up every day. He's knowledgeable. He's good with the young kids. He, um, 
uh, he emphasizes the right things and he brings energy to it. So like he's been just a massive influence. Like obviously he's my dad, so a massive influence in my life, but also in my water polo life too. Um, I mentioned Doug Peabody, like, you know, he and I have gone through different stages of our relationship, but for sure I'm grateful for what he did for me when I was a kid, you know? Um, and he, uh, probably helped instill the love of the game and certainly helped, um, instill confidence in me and what I could do, particularly offensively. Um, and he made me better when I came back to San Diego as a coach too, cause I had a coach against him. Yeah. And he and Randy Burgess are two guys that, um, you know, they're, they're coaching legends. And if I wanted to win, I had to beat them. And that, that was hard and that made me better. And I appreciated that. Um, Adam Krikorian at UCLA, who, you know, outside of my dad has been the biggest influence without question, still a very close friend of mine and someone who, when I struggle with something, when I, you know, need answers, I feel as though he's wise beyond his years, you know? Um, and I think probably the most important thing outside of any specific water polo, um, skill, he, he taught me to lead, you know, when I was at UCLA, I'll never forget, like, you know, cause I came in there, you mentioned, I, I had a great career early. I was scoring tons of goals, but I had no idea how to lead. I had no idea how to make other people better. Um, and he really helped me to understand that. And I, I remember just a specific practice where I'm sitting there after practice and we had a bad practice and I, I had a bad practice. I was in a bad, I don't, I don't know what it was. I was in a, I was being a, I was being a punk, you know? And, and he just came up and it was a simple comment. Like you have no idea how much of an impact you have. You know, it's one of those things where I tell kids now, it's like, you may not want it, but you have it. Guys are looking at you and what are you going to do with that sort of responsibility? And so, you know, by my senior year, I was a captain and I think, you know, he would, he would say I was a good leader and I, I credit him with teaching me that. And, and he continues to help me a ton in terms of my growth as a coach. You know, I'm fortunate that I have the access to a guy who, you know, is clearly one of the best coaches we have. Um, and then Ratko Rudich, you know, and like he burned something into my soul, you know, I like, I think he did <laughs> wake up at night. <laughs> yeah. I think he did for all of us, you know, and you look at the guys who, who, who played for him, who went on to be coaches, Chris Sagasman, Adam Wright, myself, there's no question. Um, there's an element of him in each of us. Um, and I think more than anything, I credit him with, you know, because he was tough to play for, man. He challenged me more than anyone has ever challenged me. He scared me more than anyone had ever scared me, you know, and I, but I respected him and I was going to do what he told me to do. Um, and, um, he helped me to figure out that there was more inside of me than I knew, you know, and I would have never gone that far on my own. None of us would have gone that far on our own, tested our limits. Uh, he forced us to, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, it's probably part of the reason I have all the injuries I have, but at the same time, I learned a lot about myself, you know, and I have this confidence now in what I can do because he showed me that, you know? Um, so he was, he was certainly a, a big influence. Yeah. I, I hear that about Racco, you know, when I've talked to other players from that, from that year, how they just were grinded to the absolute bone. Mm-hmm. Two more questions sure. I have. Absolutely. So, and this is, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier before we started recording. You and Chris being teammates, mm-hmm. having communication. Um, I see you guys talking on the pool deck, you know, when, when he was coaching. Why not modern day? Why, why was that not something that you were um, looking at? Or, you know, where was that opportunity for you? Yeah. Um, 
I think some of it is is Chris, you know, like he to me, um, he built something there that that's his. And um, I didn't want to necessarily just go and repeat that. Um, for me, I I prefer the challenge of, you know, building a program. And and I, I wanted that. I, I mean, I didn't want it to be easy in inheriting, you know, a program that's already, you know, where it is. Although there's also challenges to that, right? Um, and I think the challenges that are associated with building a program like J. Sarah are ones that I um, enjoy more than the challenges of inheriting a program that has those standards, you gotcha. know? Um, and, you know, you look at Chris, Chris took over that modern day program and it was nothing, you know? Um, and, you know, like I, I, I said at Cathedral, I took over that program and it, you know, it had no history and tradition and I want to do the same thing here, you know, and that's enticing, but also just very practical matters. I mean, very practically, like, you know, I said, my family, we want to live in North County of San Diego. I'm not going to commute from there to mm. modern day. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it here. Yeah. It's like yeah. another 35, 40 <laughs> minutes. Right. So, so, you know, I think it's the combination of, of those things. So last question, um, and this is really for the young, the coaches that are starting out or, sure. you know, people trying to learn, you know, as, just like I am. I've said this to every coach. I mean, this is a learning thing for me, too, getting to know. I mean, I've seen you on the deck. I've coached against you. We've seen each other for years, but I don't really know you. You know what I mean? Like, I've never gotten an opportunity to actually have a conversation with you. So what, if anything, what would you, what advice would you give to, you know, starting off coaching Brett? Yeah. What would you say to yourself? The right. couple things. Well, I think the hardest thing is that twenty-five-year-old Brett probably wouldn't have listened. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it wouldn't, not. Have, wouldn't have mattered what I said. Um, but but I think the biggest thing is um, just keeping the balance. You know, in the pursuit of success. You know, putting things in their proper place and having perspective and stuff that's really, really tough when you're a certain age and wired a certain way, coming off an athletic career, whatever it is. Um, you know, but just seeing the big picture, um, we're all look, every single one, you do this long enough, you're gonna experience everything. You're gonna win games you should have lost, you're gonna lose games you should have won, you're gonna um, you know, you're going to have heartache, you're going to have joy, you're going to, you know what I mean? And, and what's really important at the end of the day. Um, and it's, it's the kids, it's, um, making them better. It's preparing them for life beyond water polo, but it's also for, for a coach who's driven. It's also like having a life outside of water polo and that's going to actually make you better at coaching. And like, I, I still struggle with that today, but I certainly, when I was young, it's like, I can't take the time to go do this because I need to be practice planning and I need to be watching this video. And if I'm not someone else, you know, and, and you're constantly just kind of chasing that. And, and the truth is that maybe it's good for you to just put it down for a little while, you know, take a deep breath, let, you know, focus on something else, come back around, do it. Um, so again, it, it, and it's tough. And I'm saying, truthfully, I don't know that I would have listened to that because, you know, it's like, I need to win a championship. I need to prove myself is a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's really the biggest thing is, oh, and, and just enjoy it. You know, I mean, that was part of it. I coached great teams at Cathedral and great players. I wish I would have enjoyed some of it a little bit more in the moment, you know? Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. You yeah. know, it should be fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brett, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me and just like giving your knowledge to everybody who's listening. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks, man.